In my junior, maybe senior year of high school, I was offered an opportunity, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go to Japan. My parents and I went to a special meeting. About 10 kids from my school and their parents were there. My first thought was, why me? So when the speaker explained the opportunity, I was ready to listen. I was all ears. I listened not just for a test, but for an adventure. The attitude of my heart was completely focused. And my hands were ready to do what needed to be done for this opportunity. The lesson is good news preached. Ears, hearts, and hands. The first point is ears. How much more important is eternal life than going to Japan? How about the Olympics or a certain college or university? I hope you would agree that there is nothing comparable to God's gift of heaven. One thing that sticks out in my mind uh, at that meeting concerning Japan was this. There was not one person who wasn't glued to everything that speaker was saying. No one was falling asleep. It was an all ears opportunity and no one wanted to miss it. I believe what Paul, missionaries and preachers, as well as teachers, really like are dedicated listeners. Dedicated listeners. You can tell when a person wants to listen. Their body language shows it, as well as their action. Have you ever talked to a child and started off with the words, I want you to? What's the reaction? Head goes down, the smile goes down, and their mind is desiring something else, right? They don't want to listen. It might cause a change in behavior or a job to do. But active listeners are engaged listeners. After leaving Cyprus from last week's lesson, Paul and his group go to Perga and then to Antioch in Pisidia. On a Sabbath day, which if you didn't know was a Saturday, Paul and his companions go to where the Jews worship, which is the synagogue. They sit down in the congregation. And here's what Acts chapter 13, 15 through 16 says. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hands Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. Listen. What does he tell them to do? Listen. He wants them to listen. Do you think that is the first time Paul asked people to listen? No. It should be a quality 
that those who seek God's favor should have. Listen. So Luke and Paul give us a history lesson in chapter 13 and 14. Luke informs us there are two groups of people in this congregation at the synagogue. He explains to them that there us that there are Jews of a national heritage who worshiped God. And there were those who feared God. Other versions called them God-fearers. They are Gentiles who were converted to Judaism. Both groups are in this one synagogue. Chapter 13, verse 16, the latter half. Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Verse 26 says this. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of salvation. And then verse 43. And after the meaning of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. All these people would know the history of Israel. Chapter 13, 17 through 37. We were in Egypt as slaves. We were in the wilderness 40 years. We received Canaan because of God's promises and lived under judges and kings. All this history led up to Paul bringing up the Messiah. Jesus Christ, he brought up God's plan through Christ. And he said, Jesus, who was part of this heritage, who was part of the promise, what? Died and was resurrected. The law of the Moses cannot free you. As Kelly brought up in the Lord's Supper this morning, only Jesus can forgive your sins. Well, as you know, Paul has shared this story many times. We have it written down, but I'm sure it was a pretty worked-up sermon that he did in many times in many places and many synagogues. And the reactions are varied. Some listened, and as we've worked on before, some became violent. Notice those who listened, chapter 13, 42 through 43. And they went out. The people begged that these things might be told to them again the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. It looks like they were converted and turned to Christ. For they followed Paul and Barnabas, who urged them to continue in God's grace. And when do we have that kind of grace? When we turn to Christ for salvation. Continue in the grace. They were people who had ears to listen. The second point is hearts. 
When we talk about the heart in our modern day vernacular, we are not usually talking about the organ that's in our chest that pumps our blood, that needed necessity throughout our brain and body, and he pumps it through our system. We usually reference it to one's attitude. He has a forgiving heart. She has a longing heart. He has a cold heart. She has a black heart. In Christianity, the symbolic nature of our heart says something about us. Do we have a heart to listen? Have we put up walls in our heart so that we cannot listen to the truth? As God declared of King David, a person after God's own heart. God's heart desires people to accept the truth. And that truth comes through Jesus Christ and his teachings. What kind of heart did those people have after they heard the good news? They were grateful. They were appreciative. A heart desiring to continue in the grace of God. As Paul instructed them to do. Chapter 13, verse 43. But did all the hearts respond that way? Sadly, no, they did not. The heart, the human heart, that is, is very challenging. And again, I'm not talking about the physical heart, am I? Many times it is ruled by emotion and feelings rather than truth and or facts. God's truth teaches Emotions of the heart should come after the truth is given rather than emotions first and then changing of truth. But those emotions coming after hearing God's truth are varied. And no one really knows how the heart will react, but it will react. That is why the power is in God's word. It is not in me and it is not in you. But God's spoken word done in love. God uses people who use his word. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 11 through 13. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the, what? Heart. And no creature hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, whom we must give an account. Why did Paul come to Antioch, Pisidia? Do you remember the proconsul in Cyprus? His name was Sergius Paulus, chapter 13, 1 through 12. Did you know 
because he became a believer, his nature changed? Did you know, according to history, that he had an estate very close to Antioch, Pisidia? Do you think he wanted his family to hear the truth and believe? I do. Makes you wonder how the Holy Spirit works sometimes, doesn't it? God's spoken word was spoke by Paul on a Sabbath, first week that he was in Antioch of Pisidia, as far as the text says. And then guess what? The second week became a city event. Chapter 13, verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Anybody ever researched how big that city was during this time in history? It was about 100,000 people. About 100,000 people. Now, do you think the Sabbath uh, synagogue was going to hold 100,000 people? They probably met in the marketplace. They probably met where great groups normally meet. I don't know exactly for sure. But the disbelieving Jews were jealous. They spoke contradictory to the word of God, even reviling Paul. But Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly, but not the Gentiles, uh, excuse me, but the Gentiles, not just the God-fearers who had turned to Judaism or the Jews who had turned from Judaism had hearts that listened and obeyed, but also the Gentiles without a connection to Judaism had a heart to listen. Almost, it says, the whole city came to hear. Chapter 13, 48 through 50. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing, and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. They weren't driving out the whole group of believers, though, were they? That was getting bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. But they did pick on the ones who seemed to be leading the group, Paul and Barnabas. But now the disciples were growing, not just in number, but in heart. In heart. Which leads us to our third point, hands. Hands can be violent. Did you know you had to train your body to know how to use your hands and feet in such a way to be violent? It just doesn't come natural. When people make a fist, sometimes they do this. Or sometimes they do this. And you've got to learn 
that will break your thumb. <laughs> but if you do this and you tighten it in such a way, you can be violent without hurting yourself. The hands of the disobedient turned violent. They got the ears of the community leaders. They stirred up persecution and drove Paul and companions out of the city. Chapter 13, verse 50. But the disciples grew in Christ. In Iconium, where they went next, many Jews and Greeks believed. But others turned violent and poisoned the minds of the other Gentiles. Both Jew and Greek sought to mistreat and stone them. In Lystra, listen to this, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead, chapter 14, verse 19. Those are violent hands coming from the disobedient. But hands can be useful. Have you ever been told as a child, Go make yourself useful. Ever been told that? Now, sometimes that means get out of my hair and do something else. You're in my way. But sometimes that means let me help you become a good citizen and teach you something. In Christ, we want to be good citizens. We want to be useful. And the body of Christ was very useful. For after Paul left, was left for dead in Lystra, the disciples gathered around him. Do you think they were there just to gawk at him? Hmm, boy, he just, he might have deserved that. He spoke too much. He said the wrong thing. But as the body who cared, they saw him off to Derby To do what? Continue what he was already doing. But guess what? Paul and his team backtracked everywhere they had been from the point of Antioch of Pisidia. They went to Lystra, they went to Iconium, and they went to Antioch and Pisidia, where they did what? Chapter 14, 21 through 23. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Wow. I think it would have been an amazing experience to have journeyed with Paul and Barnabas. To witness the word preached and experience the varied reactions of people who heard the truth. When Paul and his team backtracked to those various cities, might they have met new converts made while they were gone? I would hope so. Did they make new converts for Christ when they went back through? If they didn't, they sure tried. Could some have fallen away? To help them keep the faith. That's the phrase used. To help them keep the faith. Could others have taken a bold stance for the gospel of Christ? When Paul and Barnabas weren't even there. 
But eventually, Paul, Barnabas, and their team made it to Antioch of Syria. There's two Antiochs we're dealing with in Scripture here. So you've got to say one's in Pisidia and one's in Syria. Syria, Antioch of Syria, is where the Holy Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for a mission I have for them. Now they're back, maybe two years later. And they could not help but share everything that God had done. Chapter 14, verses 17 through 27 through 28. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples, which means a very long time. They hung out and encouraged each other. Was everything that God had done through them all positive? I mean, we studied Job this morning. Right, Justin? Can you imagine? There's something more than just happiness, isn't there? Sadly, we see how disbelieving hearts respond. Now, can you have a disbelieving heart and then repent later and respond correctly? Yes. So we keep at it. The group's involved. But was the good news spreading? Oh, it was spreading. Absolutely it was spreading. People were accepting the word of truth and salvation through Christ. So the lesson is called, Good News Preached. The first point is ears. Those who actively listen to the truth have ears that are all in, all in to hearing the word. Hearts, but it is those hearts that bend to the power of God who actually change their nature who actively change their nature. Those hearts that bend to the power of God. And three, hands. Hands are but tools. They're tools to violence or tools to obedience. My question to you is, what do your hands do? What do your hands do? The lesson is yours. If there's anybody here this morning who has any prayer needs or otherwise, please come forward now as together we 